Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Transformation Intensive Movement 2, Week 15, Invitation to Humility. But before we get into that, I want to welcome you back from the wilderness. And I want to read you a verse, one of my favorites. It's uh, Colossians 3.12 and 13. But it, it just Colossians 3.12 starts with this. As God's ch chosen people, holy and dearly beloved. Right? Dearly beloved. All right, let's see a little ink. Come on. Come on. Hey, there we go. I see that hand. All right. Nobody else? Give me a break. It washed off. Okay, all right. Well, if I could only tattoo one thing, I think this, this was it. I, if I could do it on the inside of my eyelids so that I, every time I blinked, I could see it, that's what I would do. I, because, I mean, it's the one thing to remember that I think is so important. And I, I hope you're still feeling beloved if you uh, went into the wilderness with Christ. Because... Um, well, that's what the Lord did with Jesus, right? Took him right, the Spirit took him into the wilderness right away. And I think he takes us there. Like I said, I think last time that there are things you can only learn in the wilderness. Um, I, you know, and for me, I'm older than most everybody here. Not everybody, but most everybody. Uh, and I, when I look back, I can see the wilderness and what it did for me. You know, how God used the wilderness in my life and I'll, I'll tell you one just short story about I was in the Navy, I had finished college, I had finished a grad program, and the Lord drew me back to himself, right? I was a physics major in college, I just went off into the, the deep end, into the atheistic physics world, and... Uh, but he really drew, drew me back to himself powerfully, but when he did that, I was a brand new officer. I had just finished submarine school and I had four years in a submarine ahead of me. I really wanted to go off to, I don't know, study the Bible and do that sort of thing. And I, I had this obligation and I was very upset about it. So I went to submarine school, I was pretty unmotivated and, um, and then reported to my submarine and I got to spend the next four years locked in a steel tube with uh, about a hundred other guys who were not exactly saints, I will say this, too. Uh, but, you know, the, I, looking back, I can see it now. I mean, the Lord really met me there. I took my Bible with me. I was very active in the, got into the navigators, and I was doing Bible studies. And, um, you know, I had this, <laughs> you don't take that much stuff with you when you go, but I had this, this fairly large Bible, and uh, there's no privacy, right? So... I would get my little Navigator Bible study books out, and I'd get my big Bible out, and I'd do this, and people would see me doing it, right? And people don't know this, but in the Navy, there's a Navy regulation. It was actually written in 1775, before the fountain, before our famous 1776, that on Sundays, on every ship in the Navy, a service will be held and a sermon will be preached. And, uh, well, it's pretty hard when you don't have a chaplain, right? So on every ship, they nominate somebody to do this. Well, I had been seen. And every, every uh, time we would go and get underway, there was a collateral duty list that would come out, and ship's lay leader 
was one of the collateral duties and I came up on the list and it said, you know, Ridgeway, you know, ship's lay leader. That means you have to lead services on Sunday. And I remember going to the executive officer as a new ensign and saying, I absolutely do not want to do this. And his response was, you've got a Bible and we've seen you read it. That puts you way above everybody else on board. That's, this is a true story. I remember it like it was yesterday. I would not like to see video of any of those services. But what's really interesting to it, I mean, I would drag myself down to do these services. And I mean, these are the same guys I had to yell at. And you know, <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway, uh, God really blessed. When, when we first started meeting, there were like four people that came and we met in what they, they lovingly called the, the ship's library, which was a closet, really, literally a closet with a duffel bag full of paperback books. And, you know, we kind of meet in there and it grew over the one patrol to be about 40 people that would come. And we had to meet in the, where we ate on the, the ship. And I, I, we know this for a fact that it wasn't what I did. I would take my little Navigator Bible study, and that was what I did for Sunday services. I had no idea what I was doing. And, um, and that, subsequent to that, I wound up going to seminary and coming back as a chaplain. Now I can see that thing that I really hated. I'll tell you, I, I laid in my bunk, which was a lot like an aluminum coffin, with a curtain on one side. You know, night after night, and I mean, some nights I just hated it so bad. You know, there was no communication, you got no mail from your family, you, you know, and months at a time. Um, and I was newly married, fairly newly married with a newborn son, and it was really hard. I really despised it. I missed three Christmases in a row. I mean, it, it, it really... It was a wilderness for me. And I, I know some of you in here are in a wilderness. You know, you're in a wilderness. What the, what's the Lord going to do with me? And trust me, he knows what he's doing. Right? He knows what he's doing. Right? You are the beloved. You are the beloved. We are the beloved. That's the one thing you got to keep with you when you're in the wilderness. When you're in the wilderness. So... Invitation to Humility is coming up. Just to give you a feel for where we're going, I want to introduce uh, next week of prayer, and then we will do a prayer um, exercise. Uh, just a, a, It's not exactly a Lectio Divina, nor is it a, a guided imaginative experience, but just a very slow reading of um, some passages from a couple of Gospels about John the Baptist. And then we have a uh, song we're going to uh, use to just help us enter into these themes. So this invitation to uh, humility, um, you might ask the question, you know, why are we taking like another little break? Why aren't we going, you know, directly from the wilderness into Jesus calling his disciples and the beginning of his public ministry. And I think the answer for that is a simple one. Ignatius at this point wants to give us sort of a lens with which we understand everything that will follow after. 
we will be praying with a particular exercise called the two standards. And uh, a standard is actually um, a flag. Uh, this was something that, I don't know, the research that I've done, it seems like maybe for a couple of centuries at least, before Ignatius, this would be very common where whoever the, the local monarch was and realized this is kind of before they're really a concrete sense of nation states. You know, each particular um, king or ruler would have a flag that if you saw that flag, you would know it was associated with that particular leader. And so Ignatius wants to um, challenge us to say, you know, what leader are you actually following? Are you following Jesus? Or perhaps you have been confused and you're actually following someone else. Um, you might be following Lucifer, even if you think you're following God. So he wants to bring this into focus for us. Um, I think it's actually critically important. Uh, you'll notice when you get into the scripture uh, readings for this week and you're praying with them, that in each of these passages, we get a little bit of a sense of Jesus, uh, Jesus the king and what kind of a ruler he is and the conflict in the disciples' heart about accepting who he is compared to like what they're expecting. Um, and of course, the most tragic example of this is Judas. You know, Judas has a really clear idea of what kind of leader he is looking for and wants to follow, and he is really disappointed in how Jesus embodies this. Um, and so in some ways, this sort of tension between these two standards between uh, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God, this tension, which is actually in the heart, in the hearts of the disciples, this moves the action forward towards the passion. So I like this um, and have come to value it more and more when you realize that actually this is a great lens to understand everything that will come after. And it's also another thing to add into our uh, discernment toolkit uh, sometimes when we are faced with a decision and we get a little more clarity, like, is this like something that, uh, that, that Jesus would do? You know, the old thing in the 90s, you know, what would Jesus do? Uh, this, takes it, this takes it to a little bit different nuance where you might actually choose uh, the way of humility over the way of pride and accomplishment. Like if you were, if you had two things hanging in the balance and they both seemed pretty good, you might actually choose the way of humility because this is the way of Christ. So uh, I hope it also adds to your, um, your confidence in your discernment. All right, um, let me introduce uh, the meditation on the two standards to you. And you do have, you see the flags there. You've been looking at those flags, right? So those are very different. Those, I mean, obviously this is like medieval times fair or something like that. This is not a historical recreation. Um, but you do see just this sense of like different people carrying different flags and, you know, whose team are you on, so to speak. Um, Ignatius actually uh, paints a picture for us in his imagination. And in your um, article section, you actually have the text of the Ignatian exercises. And you'll see that he brings a lot of um, uh, vivid imagery around this, where he, he almost sees like two leaders on the battlefield, you know, one being the devil, who's the enemy of the human nature, and one being Christ our Lord. And uh, this imagery, unless you're really into like 
medieval stuff. Uh, you know, like huge Lord of the Rings fan. Maybe you've studied, studied all the armor or something like that. Like, if that's you and you love that kind of thing, uh, this image might really speak to you. But it, probably it won't. And that's okay. Because this is not meant to be an imaginative prayer exercise. He's not asking you to, like, you know, close your eyes and imagine this, you know, wicked ruler on a horse, you know, with demons swirling around him or something like that. He's not asking you to imagine that. This is what's called a meditation, which means it's a, a kind of prayerful um, reflection. So it might be helpful instead of thinking of, um, uh, you know, like, like these two uh, uh, people, uh, Christ and Satan, what they represent, to think of these as two value systems. And so it's the two value systems that we're looking at you know, and if you want to attach that to some historical figure that you're like, oh, that person is a little bit like uh, Jesus in the way that he embodies this, or uh, this this woman embodies the the some of the values of Christ. Like, if the if those um, historical references help you, use them. But it's not absolutely necessary or helpful. Uh, you just want to follow uh, where where your um, where your meditation takes you. So. Um, Ideally, what we're looking to do is to identify the set of values that we're using as the basis of our personal identity, um, the basis upon which we evaluate our lives, and then, as I mentioned before, this way that we understand the conflict in the hearts of the disciples in the passages of scripture that we'll pray with this week. Um, so really, uh, our goal is to make Jesus' value system uh, more fully our own, and this helps us to really grow in courage uh, to choose something that might run counter to the values of the world. So um, let's look first of all at just the, these three uh, uh, different, three, three values that go along with, with each, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Um, in the kingdom of God, uh, there is the idea of spiritual poverty, and I think we've, we've begun already uh, to talk about that. Uh, I'll draw this out more. This is in your notes, by the way. So don't feel like you need to start writing all this down. We're on page 90, if you want to turn there. You don't have to. Spiritual freedom and humility. And then in the kingdom of this world, contrasting with that is worldly wealth, worldly honor, and pride. All right. Um, let's talk a little bit about the first pairing, which is spiritual poverty versus worldly wealth. One who lives in this value of spiritual poverty has a sense of dependence upon God for my sense of identity. Again, I am the beloved. My sense of security, of esteem, and of love. Um, by contrast, uh, the person who is under the other value system has a dependence on myself for my sense of identity, security, esteem, and love. Um, sometimes I feel like uh, uh, men and also uh, single moms really feel this powerfully. Um, that, you know, it's really all up to me to see what I can achieve to uh, firm up my, my security. Uh, so in, it's not, in this way we want to kind of get away from the Jesus and the devil kind of thing. You know, because it's not, it's too, uh, um, 
uh, it's too much of a bifurcation to say like, well, my values are God's values and yours are Satan's. You know, like that's not what we're trying to split out here. Uh, we're really talking about, you know, do I rely on the Lord for my sense of who I am or do I rely on myself? That's where the distinction is. Uh, a second feature of spiritual poverty is the freedom to sacrifice my wealth and my standard of living for the sake of the gospel. Um, notice this doesn't say uh, uh, the only way to fulfill spiritual poverty is to sell everything. Uh, you'll, we have another uh, exercise actually that helps to nuance that a little bit. But it is the freedom so that we're not afraid to make a sacrifice if that's what God would call us to do. And then by contrast, uh, the person who lives uh, under, under that value of worldly wealth um, is actually crippled here by the need for financial security and social status uh, that might determine all of my choices. Occasionally, a person is asked to make a choice that, you know, in the eyes of their peers, is sort of a downward choice. Um, the, the freedom to make that downward choice, if you want to, is part of spiritual poverty. Uh, a third, in spiritual poverty, our personal identity is grounded in the sense of being beloved of God, not in what I achieve. Um, and how huge uh, this is, that it's not about what we do that makes us valuable to God. And then, uh, by contrast, a personal identity that's grounded in work performance or in fulfilling a role um, no one is immune for this. Just because you're not in the workplace, uh, if, you, if you're a, a mom or a dad that spends most of your time at home with your children, we can become so invested in that role that that also becomes our identity. Not being deeply loved by God, but like, what kind of a mom am I? What kind of a dad am I? What kind of a homeowner am I? Um, our identity can become invested in those. So uh, the, the final piece here, like, that I think has been so uh, helpful to me, like, am I living in spiritual poverty? Uh, usually that's characterized by contentment. And by contrast, um, living under that uh, value of worldly wealth is usually characterized by discontentment, um, which might be a, another reason for you to, you know, stay away from Facebook or, or uh, Instagram or whatever your thing is, you know, that... Um, uh, Pinterest, hmm, that's, that's deadly as well, yeah. All, all those things can certainly uh, stir up your sense of discontent. And even though it looks beautiful, you know, like I wish I could like take a picture of something in my home that would look like Pinterest. It, there's something bad about it, right? I mean, we're not talking about like looking at pornography, right? We're just looking at something that's perfect. Uh, and yet that like, oh, this is perfect. If only I could achieve this. But it, it comes with this deep sense of discontentment, you know? For me, this often feels like a drive towards um, making things perfect. All right, uh, the second category of things, things values to be compared, uh, spiritual freedom uh, versus worldly honor. Uh, in spiritual freedom, there's an acceptance of my gifts and of God's esteem for me. By contrast, uh, when we're under that other value system, we tend to covet the gifts and talents of others. So we don't accept how it is that God has made me and how he has called me. 
Uh, there is some interesting literature on this in terms of the distinction between how men versus women receive um, some of these teachings. And uh, for women, sometimes the need is, is right here in this need to accept my gifts. It's actually a call to magnanimity. Um, the wrong value here can actually be kind of a false humility that um, devalues or diminishes the gifts that have been given. Of course, men can suffer this as well, but it seems to be more poignant for women. Um, the second would be the, the freedom uh, from the tyranny of cultural definitions of success. Um, and and th this is huge. I, th I think at Church of the Resurrection, we actually have an unusual number of people who like are highly educated and make like unexpectedly low salaries based on uh, how educated they are, you know? Um, I remember one time when uh, we were fairly early in our, in our marriage and, you know, my husband's a counselor, I'm involved in ministry, and, uh, you know, my parents were like, you have advanced degrees, why don't you have more money? You know, <laughs> like, isn't that why you did that anyways? To have more money. Um, and not, not that that isn't the way that some people go. But it's, it's to think like, oh, because my tax return says I'm in this bracket, I don't really have success. So the person who has this freedom, spiritual freedom, doesn't like have their sense of worth go up and down based on uh, um, income. And that enslavement to the tyranny of cultural definitions of success. Um, spiritual uh, freedom also means an openness and a vulnerability towards God and others especially uh, the materially poor. So it's just this openness, an openness to those um, who have um, uh, need and this openness towards God. Uh, by contrast, uh, under this other standard is a fear of the opinion and judgments of others. And there can be more focus on the pretense of image um, at the expense of honesty. And with spiritual freedom finally comes an ability to actually accept my personal limitations. Um, because my personal limitations will actually put some bounds around, around what I do and how much I take on and so forth. Uh, because I'm actually living in that value of having freedom. I'm not being driven to like do something amazing all the time. All right. Uh, and then by contrast is that inability to accept personal limitations. And then finally is this matter of humility versus pride. Um, humility involves a felt sense of dependence upon God versus dependence and reliance upon myself. Uh, a conviction that my whole life is a gift from God versus a drive to prove myself in the eyes of God and others. Uh, humility means a willingness to aspire to greatness that's possible only with God. And paradoxically, pride can often be an, a refusal to accept God's high esteem of me. All right. Um, let me um, take you uh, to some of the prayers for this week. So if you turn in the prayer section um, to 
page 24, uh, Sacred Heart Prayers and Poems. Let me try to help you get into the logic of this. Uh, this idea of the Sacred Heart is very interesting. You've probably seen like Sacred Heart high schools and Sacred Heart churches and interesting sort of like uh, images of like sometimes blonde haired blue eyed Jesus with this like his, his like robes open and like this oversized heart like in there and you're like what is that all about you know um, I, I'm sure there are people for whom that image really speaks to them I, it, it stirs a lot of curiosity in me but it doesn't like move me to devotion um, but really what it's trying to capture is this idea that there's something that can happen when we start to actually feel we start to interact with God and the world and other people with the heart of Jesus, um, where we start to have sentiments and feelings and emotions and thoughts that we say, this isn't just because, oh, the Bible told me I should feel this way, therefore I do. We have more the sense that another lives in me. Another is loving through me. Another is caring and serving um, through me. So there are a few uh, prayers along these lines. Um, and I do want to encourage you also the previous set of prayers, um, uh, the prayers of response to Jesus' call, those will also be great. You know, the prayer of St. Francis, uh, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith, and so on. Those prayers are very helpful. Um, but most importantly, I want to draw your attention to page 26, the Litany for Humility. It may take you a while to get comfortable with this, and it is possible that you shouldn't pray this. Um, we have had a, a couple of uh, retreatants in TI who suffered a lot of um, abuse in childhood, if that's the case for you and you start reading this and like you feel like you're going to have a panic attack and you need to call your therapist back and set up a time, like don't push it. Um, but there are pieces of this that can really, I think, open up for us what humility um, looks like. Let me read just a few lines of it. Oh, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me from the craving to be esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the craving to be loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the craving to be extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the craving to be honored, deliver me, Jesus. If you go across to the next um, column, um, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Uh, I've been thinking about this with the uh, natural kind of diminishment that comes with age. You may have noticed that, um, I don't know, maybe on the slippery slope uh, hitting between 40 and 50, you start to notice that there's a lot more focus on people who are younger. And, um, and then there's also the, the more limitations, more uh, a diminishment. And it actually can be kind of terrifying 
Uh, some people put this off as long as possible. Uh, they don't want to. They just don't want to grapple with the sense of diminishment that comes with age. But this is this invitation to say: Is it possible that I can diminish in such a way that Christ can increase? Where it's a spiritual movement. Yes, it's it's an acknowledgement of like I I am aging. There's a certain kind of diminishment, but at the same time, there's this possibility for more of Jesus to be formed um, in us. Um, it's interesting that uh, that simple phrase in the opinion of the world that others may increase that I may decrease. Uh, does it that little phrase bring any biblical character to mind? Who said uh, I would? Oh, that I would uh, decrease and he might increase. John the Baptist, right? This is John the Baptist's prayer. Um, so that is part, that's another thing that we, we are moving towards um, this week. It's just this openness to humility that, that the spirit of God forms in us. This is not us like, I don't know, flagellating ourselves and trying to create some sense of, of humility. Uh, but but this, this is a... a, a earnest desire that that humility of Christ uh, would be formed in us. All right, so let me in, uh, invite you just to put things down now. We're going to do um, uh, a prayerful reflection on John the Baptist. I think I just heard someone hum uh, Andre Assad's song, so we're gonna we're gonna like let's we'll continue to pray with that later in case that song is going through your head. Um, so what I'm doing this time is actually just a slow reading of the passage, these passages from Scripture, rather than like prompting you uh, to remember anything in in particular. So I encourage you uh, just to close your eyes, uh, to take a few deep breaths, and just to open yourself to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Enter imaginatively into the story. Uh, John the Baptist and Herod will be the two main figures with Jesus in the background. John the Baptist appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People of the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He fed on locust and wild honey. And this is what he proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. 
I have baptized you with water, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The reason why I came. The reason why I came baptizing with water was that he might be made known to Israel. John further testified further, saying, I saw the Spirit come down like a dove from the sky and remain upon him. I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, on whomever you see the Spirit come down and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. Now Herod was the one who had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, whom he had married. John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias harbored a grudge against him and wanted to kill him but was unable to do so. Herod feared John, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man, and he kept him in custody. When he heard him speak, he was very much perplexed, yet he liked to listen to him. Herodias had an opportunity one day when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers, his military officers, and the leading men of Galilee. Herodias's own daughter came in and performed a dance that delighted Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, Ask of me whatever you wish, and I will grant it to you. He even swore to you, her, I will grant you whatever you ask of me, even to half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, 
What shall I ask for? And she replied, The head of John the Baptist. Now the girl hurried back to the king's presence and made her request. I want you to give me at once on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And the king was deeply distressed. But because of his oaths and the guests, he did not wish to break his word to her. So he promptly dispatched an executioner with orders to bring back his head. He went off and beheaded him in the prison. And he brought in the head on a platter and gave it to the girl. The girl, in turn, gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. If you wish, I'll give you a minute or two to write anything in your journal that you'd like to remember. Otherwise, you can sit in the silence for about three minutes.
We'll send you the link to that song in case you want to listen to it again this week. And then um, we will email you more about this, but I want to give you the heads up 
that um, we originally thought we would do a retreat on May 4th, and um, it just is going to work better if we do it on the 18th. So that particular week, we won't meet on um, the Tuesday, but then we'll have Saturday together, and it'll be from 9 to 2. So if you can put that on your calendars, and we will, um, that your lunch will be included, it'll be a, just a wonderful way to celebrate and to mark the end of our, um, of our journey together. Um, one little just encouragement for you with relation to your prayer time. Um, even if you find you, you can only give it like 25 minutes, try to do it every day or at least five times a week. Um, each, uh, when this retreat is given in a 30-day format, basically you would have five prayer periods a day. So we have 30 weeks, which means you want about five prayer periods per, uh, per week um, that, that help us uh, to keep this together. Um, especially now that we are um, working with imaginative prayer, the night before, reviewing the passage and letting it get in your memory, um, and also sort of uh, getting in your mind like where I want to start praying tomorrow, will help you just to keep to keep things moving. So it's it's better to pray less time more frequently than to think, oh, I can't even start it because I don't have an hour. Um, anything that you can do to keep your rhythms to guard them, protect them, sacrifice to make them possible, uh, you will reap so much more reward. Um, you'll get so much more than you give. So uh, God bless you all as you uh, head out to your listening groups.